Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. I know that a lot of times when people hear there's the, the pastor's not preaching, you think, oh, this is a good day to stay home and catch up on my sleep. Don't laugh. I'd rather you do that than come here and catch up on your sleep. Um, <clears throat> in the first service, someone came in with a jigsaw puzzle, and it was a relief to see them not working that puzzle during the service. Um, this morning, we began a new five-part series titled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's based on a book by the same title by John Mark Comer. And his book really gets to the heart of what plagues so many of us and distracts us from the life that Jesus longs for us to have in him. Common as it is, hurry is destructive to our well-being, our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. The damage that hurry does in our life must be eliminated and replaced with life-giving habits rooted in our life in Christ. And yet with the damage that hurry does, we're often not even aware anymore that we're hurrying. Hurrying is just a part of everyday life from the moment we wake up until we fall into the bed exhausted at night. Hurry's become so subconscious that we don't even often realize we're uptight, sighing. How many of you notice your spouse especially going, it's so frustrating. Um, Or we're impatient and we have the go, go, go. Who had to hurry this morning to get here on time? Be be honest, yeah. Amen, yeah. I understand. Who's going to hurry tomorrow to work, to school, to a doctor's appointment? Who rushes to accomplish things? Fixing dinner, cutting grass, driving to church. This This kind of hurry is the hurry to get stuff done quickly when you just want to get it done. My son hurries on Thursday night to take the garbage out because it picks up about 5 a.m. in the morning. And he has to hurry because usually I've asked him to do it about 8 and he forgets. And so about midnight, he's headed out to get the trash out. But the hurry we'll look at today is due to having so many other things to do and having so many other things. We live busy lives, our days are full, sometimes even chaotic, and hurry can erode our peace of mind, our stress. It causes stress, impatience, and irritation, and often even leads to ingratitude because we're so busy and we're so stressed out, we're not taking the time to be grateful for all that God has provided for us. And life's been this way for so long, we even hardly think about it anymore. So looking at it more closely at the rhythm of our lives through the lens of Scripture, it's going to shock us that many, that hurry is one of the great spiritual enemies of the Christian life. Notice that in Scripture, Satan is not uh, some big monster with a red pitchfork. He rarely appears that way. Usually it's much more subtle, isn't it? An alert on your phone which interrupts your prayer time, a Netflix binge. Sunday afternoon checking work emails, Instagram, or yet another soccer tournament that takes you away for the weekend. 
Corey Ten Boom, who was a survival of the Holocaust and on whom the book and movie The Hiding Place is based on, said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Why? Because unfortunately, busyness can have the same effect as sin. It cuts us off from our connection to God to create tension and stress, which wears us down so that it distracts us from the desperate attention that our soul needs. Hurry has origins and consequences. Having to hurry comes from various sources, some completely unintentional and unavoidable. And yet other reasons, most reasons why we rush through life are because of our choices. The good news is that there's a better way. New life through the resurrection of Christ is not only a future promise, but it's a present reality. The Jesus who forgives sins is the same Jesus who grants us rest and play and peace and even simplicity in our lives. Our text this morning, the Pastor Brad read, is Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus' words are recorded. Come to me. All you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. This verse highlights the overall message of our series. Jesus tells us he's the answer to hurry and the stress and exhaustion it causes. Jesus is the hope and promise of a better life now. During the Easter season, we're going to talk about some of the spiritual practices that help us find the richest rewards a life in Christ offers. A life is much like a box, isn't it? It only holds so much. The question is, what is your life full of? Too much of this world causes hurry, which results in stress, anger, wrong priorities, and a lack of gratitude. When your values and your actions are at odds with each other, it causes dissonance or friction, which then robs us of peace. But I want to be sure we understand that hurry isn't a cause. Hurry is a consequence. It's a symptom of that which causes you to hurry. We'll sometimes say, well, I had to hurry. But why did you have to hurry? Something caused you to hurry. So it isn't so much the act of hurrying we need to eliminate, but the things that cause hurry. If we eliminate the causes of hurry, hurry and the damage it does goes away. Now, Pastor Brad has preached about choices, and he's spoken about the things that we have to choose between. We can either do this thing or that thing. And and a lot of times, the choices that we have to make, they're, they're both good. For example, do I take my daughter fishing, which she really loves, or do I go visit a friend in the hospital? Life is full of good things, but we can't do them all. We also have things we must do, right? We have to change that diaper. We better change that diaper. <laughs> we have to fix the flat tire, go to work, go to school, go to the doctor. But more commonly, we struggle with choices between wants. I want to watch TV, but I want to take a nap. I want to call my friend, but I want to go play golf. And sometimes I just want to sit here and zone out. Comparison is also a big cause of hurry. You know the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses? Teddy Roosevelt, President Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Your child might ask, 
Why can't I do something my friends get to do? Such as, Mom, Jeff's going on the school trip to France. Why can't I go? But adults, don't laugh. Adults are even worse. Because we don't have mom or daddy to tell us no. We'll hear that Keith and Sarah are uh, going on a, a, a cruise. And we say, well, we want to go on a cruise. They're going on a cruise. Why can't we? Then there's the mindless causes of hurry. When we look at all the things that fill our lives, the to-dos, things purchased, time wasted, we often realize it's a habit and subconscious action that causes them. We mindlessly make decisions based on the path of least resistance or even habit. How many of you aren't even aware how many times you pick up your phone and look at text messages or emails? Um, I'll tell you a quick story. A few weeks ago, uh, during one of the, I think it was one of the Holy Week services, um, I, in the sanctuary, I walked down front, because I was, and I went up on the platform uh, to pray, and then I went down, and after the service, I ran back to my office, and I thought, well, I'll just look at my text. And Michaela had texted me at the beginning of the service and said, your shirt tail is out. Uh, so sometimes some of us may need to look at text more often than less often. Um, but when we do choose, whether consciously or subconsciously, we're choosing one thing over another. By purchasing or doing something, we're simultaneously choosing not to do something else. In, in choosing, we'll sometimes rationalize and explain the choice as, well, I have to, or I really need, but these are really subjective decisions or simple rationalizations. We often make wants into needs as a way to justify them. But let's face it, for many of us, there's quite a bit in life that's optional, but that we turn into needs. Uh, last year, uh, when Wimburn and I moved into our house, Pastor Brad and Donna invited us over for breakfast. And Pastor Brad handed me, I will tell you, it was the best cup of coffee I can ever remember having. And I, I went home and I thought, man, I have got to have that coffee maker. I just have to. I mean, what would life be if I don't get that cup of coffee every morning? Life just won't be the same. So my lovely wife, Wynn, went out at Christmas time and bought me that coffee maker. And now it sits right beside two other coffee makers. <laughs> the coffee pot for when friends come over or you want more than one cup. And then, of course, you have to have the Keurig for those you know, cups of flavored coffee. I see nodding heads. But then I have my prized possession, this coffee maker that, that grinds its own beans and then it magically just pours the best cup of coffee I've ever had. I needed this thing, I'm telling you. Uh, are you convinced? Um, so see, I had to apply this sermon to myself first. We're drowning in a sea of activities and things, material things. Anything you want or need, it's just a click away, isn't it, on the internet? I think it's amazing that Amazon, you go to Amazon and you, you find something you need and you, you put it in your cart and you go to check out. And then it says, oh, wait, other people that bought this item also buy this. And don't forget this, you've ordered this before, do you need to, you know, resupply? It's just, it's so habit-forming. How many of you, when you get bored, shop online? And you say, well, I'm not shopping, I'm just looking, until you find something you didn't even know you needed. 
How many of you, how many people here will admit walking through Lowe's or Home Depot and seeing some tool and you think, oh, I need to come up with a project to justify buying that? <laughs> or the latest kitchen gadget on QVC. And these, these people are cooking all these delicious dishes and it's so quick and it's so easy. The one time I watched QVC, I bought a Fry Daddy. We used it maybe three or four times and then it went to Goodwill and I've never watched QVC again. In the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, Comer writes a chapter titled Simplicity in which he focuses on how material wants drive so much of the hurry we experience. Possession of so much has consequences, usually more things. With more stuff, you need more space. With a faster computer, you need a faster internet connection and a faster router. You buy a new super HD TV, well, you have to have a sound bar and an upgrade to your cable choices so you can watch more TV. Possessing this thing has a ripple effect, doesn't it? One need results in other needs. More means more. And yet, why is it that with so much of the automation and instant society we have, life isn't any easier or simpler, is it? So what motivates so much of the stuff we surround ourselves with and so much of what we do? Again, there's comparison. A friend has something new and cool. Well, now we want it and just have to have it, Pastor Brad. Your child's friend is now taking dance, and they want to take dance, but they also want to keep playing soccer and going to theater and everything else, which means you're playing family chauffeur more, spending more money, traveling to and sitting at games. Again, these aren't necessarily bad things, but you are choosing one thing over another. As adults, we do the same thing. Your brother calls and says, hey, my wife and I were going on to the Virgin Islands uh, for vacation. You think, man, he's a puddinghead. I mean, I deserve a vacation more than he does. I want to go to the Virgin Islands. You know what I'm talking about. We make choices for convenience, for a hobby, for entertainment, a whim, or even comparison all of which makes us hurry more to afford it, to purchase it, to use it, and to go, go, go. Here's the hard truth. This is not the life that Jesus intends for us to live. So what do we do? Well, before you think about what to eliminate, it's called the ruthless elimination hurry, I think it's easier to think about the things you, that are the keepers, the things you want to keep in your life. Keepers are the essentials. I'm talking about values. Values are the beliefs that motivate and cause us to act and choose in certain ways. Values should be our guide to choices and actions. Our values tell us not to steal, to be honest, to mind your own business, to work hard, to love and serve others, to keep your word. And as Christians, our primary value is our faith in God, our relationship with him, and our discipleship by him. Or should I say, it's supposed to be our faith in God and our relationship with him and our discipleship by him. But that's tough. When there's a difference between our values and our actions, again, it results in stress and dissonance, friction in life, which often comes in the form of guilt that the Holy Spirit provides. And guilt feels like stress, doesn't it? It feels like tension. 
When we live the life that God intends, everything else is okay. Matthew records Jesus' words in Matthew 6.33, where Jesus says, But strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people read the words, and all these things will be given to me. Oh, I just, we think materially, don't we? But what he really means, if you look back at the prior verses, he's, he tells us not to be obsessed or worried about necessities, clothing, food, and drink. Jesus says, don't be anxious about such things. Strive for my kingdom, and I'll provide the things that you need. Strive first means to make the kingdom of heaven the top priority of daily life, living in relationship with him. And then Jesus says, if you pursue living in relationship with me, I will provide all that you need. Now, other than the values question, probably the most important question is, this thing that you want, does it move you closer to God? Does it have no effect? Or does it move you away from God? Does it have a negative impact on your spiritual life? Now, if we can't say it moves us closer to God, then we're usually quick in rationalizing and defending and maybe just feeling a little bit of indignation. Why should I have to justify myself? I deserve this. I need it. It won't hurt anything. It's a good thing. My friend has it, so it must be okay for me too. I can afford it, so why not? Here's an important fact. A life of discipleship is a life of self-discipline. The discipline of saying no to so much that this world thinks and tells us that we need, that we deserve. But we're also fighting our own impulses and desires, aren't we? God created you to glorify Him and to enjoy Him. We all forget that this life, this world, is not our home. But we can be so intent on enjoying this life rather than Jesus and the life that He offers in Him. The ruthless elimination of hurry is an intentional act. I think you could also call it the relentless elimination of hurry. The act of making choices, it means stepping back and thinking. It means making value decisions. Does this thing align with my values? If it doesn't, well, then that's the first thing you get rid of. The second thing to eliminate are those things with no value. How much time do you spend on the internet mindlessly surfing? I'm guilty, I'll sit in the chair and I'll click through all the channels. I don't find anything, so I lower my standards and I go back again. I lower my standards and I go back again. We spend time looking at Instagram and Facebook or just doing nothing. Don't misunderstand me. God has blessed us, especially in the United States, with so much, hasn't he? He wants us to enjoy this life. God wants you to have fun, to laugh, and enjoy all that he has created, as long as it points you to him. Yet so much of what we surround ourselves with are actually distractions and worshiping the God of comfort and possessions. Friends, this life is temporary, isn't it? And yet we live like survivalists and hoarders, stocking up on every possible want. Most of us probably have enough for two lifetimes. I have three coffee makers. I, I, you know, I, I can't understand it. We seem to live and plan and purchase as if this life, at the expense 
that this life will live forever at the expense of preparing our hearts for the next life, which is forever. I'm not saying that any of these things are evil or even bad, but it is bad if you'd rather surf the internet than read your Bible. Easing into a Sunday morning with a cup of coffee and letting your kids sleep late, that's not a bad thing, but it is if you'd rather do that and it keeps you from attending church in person. If your spending means putting tithes last, then it is a bad thing. Thinking, well, whatever's left at the end of the month, that's what I'll give to God. Who is the voice in your head that whispers, well, if God wanted me to tithe more, he'd give me more. What we really mean is, it's God's fault that I don't tithe more. A life in Christ, the life he wants to give you, the rest he offers is a life of simplicity. Simplicity doesn't mean easy. It means uncluttered, unensnared, undistracted, and unenslaved from the materialism of this world. Hear this, everything in creation, everything that is good in life and nature, all have a primary focus. The pastor and author Paul Tripp says, creation was never designed to satisfy your heart. Instead, Creation was designed to be a big arrow pointing you to the one who alone can satisfy your heart. Nothing will satisfy you until you find all that you need and want in Jesus. Once Jesus is your Lord and King, he provides freedom, contentment, rest, and peace. Listen, Listen to me. There is no person, there's no relationship, there's no object, there's no possession, there's no career, there's no school grade, there's no vacation, investment, pill, or net worth. None of these can fill the place in your heart that was uniquely created by God for only Him to fill. Our series verse is Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all of you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Just a page later in chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is a, like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The writer Marshall Segal said in his article, Lots of people are completely content to have Jesus as a Savior, forgiving them of their sins. Fewer are ready to have him as the Lord of their life, leading and growing them in godliness. But have you ever thought of Christ as your treasure? The point of the parable is to highlight the infinite, precious worth of knowing Jesus and being known by him. If we don't love and treasure Jesus like this, then we don't know him. Everlasting life in and with him is simply and undeniably worth more than anything else we can buy or build or obtain here on earth. All of those are nothing compared with our Christ. He is worth all to us. So what motivates your choices? We've got to eliminate the things in life which cause us to hurry. The non-essentials that lead to hurry, stress, obsessions, and ingratitude. These cause us to become so distracted with this life that we lose focus on why we were created, to worship God and to enjoy Him. 
God longs to be your treasure. Anything else is a false god. So to summarize, the four actions that will help us eliminate hurry are determine the keepers, then choose intentionally everything else. Know your wants versus your needs. Acknowledge the ripple effect, the consequences of what you purchase and the the effects that it has. And understand the spiritual impact of choices. Determine the keeper. Start with your values. It takes maturity to admit wants versus needs. It's hard, but it's also self-honesty. We also should acknowledge the consequences of adding something, the ripple effect. More causes more. And then, how, come, how does the choice and its consequent, consequence impact my relationship with Jesus? Friends, if you can't do all four of these, just start with one. As you go through your life, as you're planning, as you're choosing intentionally, pick one of these and, and make a decision. So if we combine and summarize the three verses we've looked at today, they could be paraphrased like this. Strive for the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Let me be your treasure, and I will give you rest, and I will provide all that you need. Now again, I'm paraphrasing these three verses into one statement. When making choices, what Jesus is calling us to do, what we must do, is to put Him first in all things. Eliminate all of the things that don't honor God or which draw you away from Him. Eliminate the distractions and the clutter from your life, the things you chase after thinking they will make you happy. Eliminate anything that is more important to you than Jesus as your treasure and walking in discipleship with Him. God didn't create us to be hurried and consumed with or consumed by this world. He created us to have joy in Him. He created us to show His love for us, and He longs to be your all in all, your treasure. And in Him receive the rest and peace and joy we all so much look for and long for. The place in our heart that only Jesus can fill. Friends, go today and live out our values. Let your life reflect your faith better. Align your time, your possessions, and priorities so that they lead you to a more intimate walk with Christ. Find your contentment in God. Make Him your treasure, and He will provide all that you need. And then you can celebrate the life He longs for you to experience. Amen.